Welcome to the 264th episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Toffel. And we have a fascinating show for you today. We're going to be talking about the trends of taking ordinary IoT products and repositioning them for the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also going to be talking about Google and Apple's plans to use Bluetooth for contact tracing. Plus, there's a new iPhone out there. We also have news on several smart cameras and new products from Ecobee and Wise. We're also going to talk about TensorFlow for those of y'all who are working on machine learning projects. And I got my Wise scale in band this weekend, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about my first thoughts. Our guest this week is actually Dave Crosby, one of the co-founders of Wise, who is going to be talking to us about Chip, Why the Band, and more. Plus, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Calix, talking about how they can help service providers with better broadband and connected services. So let's get this party started with a message from another one of our sponsors, Ayla Networks. Ayla Networks is a leading provider of edge connectivity, device management, and application enablement for the Internet of Things. Ayla enables the world's largest companies to connect any device on any cloud to any application. Ayla has the fastest time to market. It's flexible and future-proof. It allows companies to increase their operational efficiencies and enhance their customer experiences. So for more information, please visit www.aylanetworks.com. That's A-Y-L-A networks.com. Okay, Kevin, we'll get started with, oh, a trend, a trend, (laughs) the coronavirus and COVID-19. So the trend we're seeing is this is playing out everywhere. But in the IoT world, we're getting lots of lots of pitches and people talking about how you could reposition your smart products for the pandemic. One of these comes from Arsana Health, which is a company that makes a platform for hospitals and medical places and is designed to, it's called WashSense. This is a device that is using a thermal sensor and you stick it on the wall. It has an e-ink display. And basically what it's doing is it's saying, hey, there's a warm body in front of me. I'm going to assume you're washing your hands. And from there, I'm going to judge you based on I'm guessing it's length of time. What do you think, Kevin? It could be length of time. I don't know what the sensors, like how accurate they are in terms of proper hand washing techniques, but the the device has an e-ink display that not just to remind you to wash your hands, but it even shows you the appropriate way to wash your hands, which a lot of people really don't know. I mean, obviously in the medical field they do, but so it may, it rates you from like a one to a 100 on your technique, I, I presume. Maybe, maybe it's just time. I can see this in schools. I mean, you know, a lot of kids just uh, run the faucet, don't really wash their hands, just, but they fake it, you know, and this could be a fun little thing. The only thing I, I guess I, I don't want to say I don't like about it, but I'm surprised. It has a touch sensor. So you have to touch it to start the process of it monitoring you. And it's like, well, at least you're not touching it after you've washed your hands. That's that's a good thing. But it would be nice if it was automatic. 
Yeah, well, that sucks more power. And what's interesting about this is it's Bluetooth-based and it's Bluetooth mesh. So, you know, you stick a lot of these in a building and suddenly you have a sense of, A, where all the faucets are, and B, what areas are, where hand washing is happening. But it's a stick-on device. You just Mm -hmm. pop this on the wall and that's it. And the e-ink display doesn't use, so what they're doing here is conserving power as much as they can, which is probably why it's like... You got to touch it to activate it to turn it on? That makes sense. Because the e-ink definitely keeps the power low because it's only using a very small amount of power whenever the display actually re-renders and changes. So it's it's not an animated uh, viewing of how to wash your hands. It's more of a diagrammatical type of approach. And that makes sense. And you know, I would say with Bluetooth mesh and the combination of e-ink screens, I've seen a couple projects where... That might become an interesting way to display information in the home or in probably not in the home because they're kind of ugly, but in places where you don't have power. So you could have like an e-ink display that's using Bluetooth to transmit the weather, like right before you Mm -hmm. open your front door. So I think there's actually some really surprising uses we might see for e-ink and creating these basically stick on interfaces that people could play with. I'll take it a step further. Oh, go. Oh, you go. Okay, here's another million dollar project idea for somebody out there. You could do like a a Bluetooth uh, light switch. Oh, fancy. And it could show you, I mean, and and I say that because the touch sensor on this particular device, the watch sensor is under the e-ink screen, but you look at a Kindle and they have touch capable e-ink displays. So you could have just a flat Bluetooth mesh, low powered switch that shows the switch, could show you your weather, could show you what other lights are on in the house, could show you all your devices in the house for crying out loud and just, you know? Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, forget I said that. I'm going to go fill out a patent application right now. Wait, come back. Let's finish the show. Okay. (laughs) Another IoT sensor being repurposed for the pandemic comes to us from Semtech. Semtech sent us some information, and I should tell you, Semtech is a company that makes LoRa chips. They are working with Alibaba Cloud and Tencent Cloud to develop, to basically integrate LoRa-based door open-close sensors to use in areas where people are supposed to be under quarantine to let people know when people who are under quarantine leave their home. This is obviously not something that we would be excited about in the U.S., but... No, no. And in fact, the the successful deployments for these products are all in China's Hubei or Wabei province. I don't know which. I apologize for that. And Alibaba Cloud pretty much tells you what you need to know there. I mean, it's obviously currently used in China. But the funny thing is, and this is why we said there's a trend here, this repurposing or repositioning of products. This is a smart door sensor, a connected door sensor that tells you if the door is sealed, if the door is open, the door is closed, and then that data goes to the cloud for whoever's monitoring that. So this probably already existed, but now they're saying, hey, you could use it for COVID-19 quarantines. So it's just funny how the pitches that we're getting are all similar to what we used to get, just repackaged for a different situation, I guess. So I will say that because of the pandemic, I do think that people are galvanized to help 
and use their engineer and they have time on their hands. Sometimes there's a mm-hmm. lot of job loss happening. There's also a lot of people working from home. And some companies are trying to support workers who are trying to do something. So it is not a surprise that Raspberry Pi sales have hit 640,000 units in March. It is the Pi Foundation's second largest month since they launched back in 2012. And they think that it's because people are working and learning at home and they're trying to do these types of projects. So I actually thought that was pretty cool. I I don't know. Did you buy a pie this month in March? I bought one in February for the home assistant project that's still going on. But just last night, I was on a couple sites, including the Raspberry Pi organization site to buy another Pi. Because again, yeah, I have a little more time on my hands and some other interesting projects in, in mind, such as a, a home-built Pi-powered robot with voice services. Yeah, so I, I think this makes a lot of sense and good for y'all. And I, yeah. I know that the people listening to this, I know y'all are out there buying the Pies. That's what y'all do for fun. I think yeah. it's great. We've seen a bunch of news articles in the past week or two about open source ventilators, and a lot of these run on a Pi. And I was actually surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but I don't know enough about ventilators, that a Pi Zero actually has enough compute power for one of these open source ventilators. That is crazy. Because what does the, the zero cost? Five bucks? I forget. Yeah, it's five dollars. Jeez. Jeez, I mean, Louise. There's a, there's a lot more to the ventilator than that, but just from a pure compute power standpoint and, and cost of that, I'm blown away. Yeah. Ventilators are not fancy machines. I know they feel fancy, well, but... depending on who you listen to, they're very complex. That's all I'm going to say. Well, okay. <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah. So those are some of our, our COVID-inspired pitches, I guess, that we thought they were interesting. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is the part of the show where we... Dump our email inbox on you. <laughs> I think it's worth thinking about like how to reaper. And you you actually did a story way, way back in the day, like a month and a half ago, it feels like forever, about just using voice control in your house to avoid infecting people. So, I mean, people yeah. are automatically, you know, if you're not bored and building a home automation system, you're just sitting there thinking like, how can I do this to make my life or someone else's life a little easier? I'll be honest, since since I wrote that story, and I don't know if regular listeners remember, my family's not too keen on the whole smart home thing. They could care less. However, I mentioned that story to them. Occasionally, they listen to what I talk about on the show. And they are doing one of the things that I said in there. We pre-screen everybody with the video doorbell and don't... We They would just go to the door, They regardless with the video doorbell. They just go to the door. They got out of that habit now. Now they're like actually saying, okay, it's UPS. Hey, can you just leave the package right there for me or whatever? So it's interesting how their behavior has changed in such a short time. Nice. Okay, so let's talk about contact tracing. We've been talking about this for weeks, it feels like. But (laughs) last Friday, Apple and Google said that they were going to work together to build a framework that uses Bluetooth on the phones to do contact tracing. And contact tracing is where... It's basically saying, hey, if you get sick, these are the people that you have been in contact with, and you're trying to let them know that they could be at risk and they should quarantine for a while. Contact tracing is really important because without a vaccine or herd immunity, it's going to be the way we come out of lockdown. We need to have something in place that helps do this so we can spot hotspots, and we can also prevent the spread of COVID-19. So 
Knowing that, Kevin, because you wrote the story, but I'll let you talk about how they're planning on doing this. Sure, sure. And and Apple and Google, obviously, US-based companies understand how the US culture is when it comes to this type of I'll call it surveillance. I mean, that's probably too strong a word, but... I don't think it is. It is. I mean, it's surveillance in the service of public health, but it is surveillance. Yeah, it just... I kind of feel that, yes, it's for the better good of society, so I'm okay with it to a degree, but some people aren't. And, and I get that. And I, I can certainly appreciate that. So this, this is a very different approach from what you've seen in countries such as China, South Korea, Taiwan, et cetera, where they have centralized systems at the government level that take the tracing data and manage who needs to go in quarantine and so on. We don't want that in the U.S. because, hey, we're Americans and we want our freedoms, and I get that. So Apple and Google are working together, which is pretty rare, and they are doing a two-step process. They have already announced and shared data uh, and information on a new API for their contact tracing. And in the coming months, they will have apps that work with healthcare providers who can access that API. So this is not in place yet. The building blocks are in place, I guess you should say. So again, being in the US, we value our privacy. So this is privacy centric. Again, presuming you trust these companies and in a previous show or two, we were saying, or at least I said, these are probably the two companies I would trust the most to do this. It makes sense. They will not have personally identifiable information in here. Basically, they're going to be like Bluetooth tokens, like a, a chain or a database locally on your device, on your phone, I should say, that uses Bluetooth to scan other people using these apps. And it will basically keep track of what devices your device came in contact with, which is a proxy for who you came in contact with as you're walking around. And then if you are diagnosed with COVID-19, and I think... From what I see so far, it's all self-reporting, although the, the health apps may come into play here and they may tag you. I, I do not know yet the details of that. What would happen is if I were, for example, diagnosed, the app would then go back on my local device, look at all those little bits of information, which Bluetooth devices I came in contact with, and would then let those people know, alert, they get a notification. You've been around somebody who's been recently diagnosed. You may want to either self-quarantine or get yourself diagnosed. So I think it's the best way we can do it here in the U.S. without freaking people out, although some people are still freaked out. Well, some things to note. One, this is all opt-in only. Two, here's my concern. I'm a little bit worried about, I don't know who's going to have access to that data. Is Google or Apple storing it or that public health company storing it? So that's one question I have. The if, other- the, if the health companies have an API, I don't believe they're going to have the data. I think they'll have access to it, but they will not be storing it. So that data is going to be Apple and Google will have. Yes. And they have said that um, they will basically delete it or provide it to research okay. later. Okay, so that's good. I don't want them having that in perpetuity. Two, I think there's room for improvement. So we talked about this with the Coalition app, which was uh, the Nodal app that we talked about, I think, last week, and I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Similar idea using Bluetooth. Um, They're using a different cryptography, but it's not hugely germane, I guess. But one of the challenges is you really, to make this more effective, Not, I mean, it's sort of effective, Um, In addition to getting a lot of people on board, you also need to have a better understanding of how long someone's been in the vicinity of someone with COVID-19 and how close they were. So Bluetooth, you know, I could be 
more than 10 feet away from someone who's just sitting there, or maybe I pass them on the street. And that's probably a lower risk situation than Mm -hmm. sitting across from someone on a bus. So there are those things to think about. And and there are technical solutions that can can help solve that. If you use like RSSI, so signal strength, basically, that'll tell you how close you were to someone. And you can even use that over time to be like, hey, this is how long you were in contact with this person. So this feels awesome because you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be on like 3 billion phones. That's amazing. But you need to get enough people to use it and then enough people to lower the false positives, I guess. Right. No, those those are all fair points. I don't think we're going to come up with a quote-unquote perfect solution here in the U.S. for many, many reasons, some technical, some cultural. I think this is about the best you could do, at least on a, on a first effort. And I will say this, the API that the two companies are developing, they're going to be at the OS level. It's not like you're going to have to download anything for this, from what I gather, because Google afterwards, after this was all announced, said they're going to push this out through Google Play services. And Apple said it would be basically put in an iOS update. So the API, the capabilities will be on every device. True, there's no guarantee that everybody's going to use or opt in. So, but at least I think they're doing everything they can without forcing you. So then after COVID, so what else Uh could you use this for? And this, this reminds me, remember the physical web? that Google was trying to launch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we love that. This gets into, part of me is very excited, but it's also like pretty freaking scary. Remember, this is an API, and it doesn't mean it's going to be out there for everybody to use. We talked about APIs last week, and we mentioned, you know, sometimes an API would be free. Sometimes an API would cost $10,000, which stopped me from doing some projects that I wanted to do. And some things have APIs that Nobody gets access to, in a sense, other than X, Y, and Z people, companies, or organizations. So I don't think Apple and Google are going to allow any developer to just start using this API. All right. That makes me feel much better. Yeah. It's a good way to control it, I think. Yay. And see, we're so prescient. We knew APIs were going to be important like a whole two weeks ago. All right. Let's go. Woo. The Coalition app, we got an update from the Nodal folks uh, after we wrote that story last week. Coalition app is currently available in the Google Play Store as of right before this podcast, because I checked. And it is in or planned to be submitted to the Apple App Store this week. I don't know if that happened yet, but those apps, well, one is available for one platform and it will be available presumably for the iOS platform next week, I, I would think. All right. I'll download it. See what we think. Okay. Right before the show. All these things are happening right before the show or right after the show, which really hoses us up. The iPhone SE was a very popular phone way back in the day, and it's now back. And that might not sound exciting at first. It's $399. It's a 4.7-inch display. There's no Face ID. It still uses Touch ID. People who want a higher-powered, small iPhone will be happy for, again, $399. But we're actually blown away by how much tech sensors and so on and compute power is in there for $399 because it has the same chip as the iPhone 11, the A13. It has um, what they're calling iBeacon location services. I've never seen that mentioned before on the iPhone, so maybe it's just fancy for Bluetooth. But in terms of Bluetooth, it does have Bluetooth 5. It has Wi-Fi 6. It has gigabit LTE. I'm like, what? Yeah, what doesn't it have? I mean, Jehoshaphat's. It doesn't have a big screen, but some of us with tiny hands are appreciating that. Some people are happy with that. Right, right. 
That's crazy. I know. And it has Bluetooth tracking, correct? Yes. Is it the beginning of Apple Tags? Yeah, I didn't say Apple Tags, but it. Uh, Bloomberg just reported earlier this week, and Mark Gurman is one of the authors of that piece, so I certainly um, believe it's very likely true. Apple Tags will be out soon. Okay, so this is the beginning of Apple Tags. Woo-woo! Yeah. Smaller HomePod, too, he said. Oh. Does anybody care? Does anyone? I mean, sure. Great. If it's cheaper, yes, because honestly, Apple Home and HomeKit, they're a really solid solution. They're truly developing and doing a lot with that that people really mm-hmm. like. But without an iPad or some always-on device in the home, it's kind of a it's a little bit more difficult, and the HomePod was so expensive. So if it's smaller, maybe it'll be cheaper. Maybe. I'm kind of confused by one thing that German said about the HomePod, the new one. It's not going to be running iOS. They're switching it to tvOS, and I wonder what, if anything, that does for HomeKit support. That's my that confused noise. Sorry. No. All right. Who knows? Okay. So, well, let's talk about some other smart home devices that are coming on the market. Ecobee, they have a new product. Well, they have a new product Several. and other things. Ecobee has launched a smart camera, some sensors, and the Ecobee Haven service. So let's talk about that, Kevin. Ecobee previously, at least in some of the models, had their smart thermostat with voice control, and that was done through Madam A, and that's Amazon's voice services, but we call her Madam A. They have, the day of our recording, they've added a smart camera with voice control for $179. they have added a smart sensor two-pack for $79. Two, a two-pack of door window sensors for 79 And then, as you mentioned, the Haven security service. And this is kind of similar to what we've seen in terms of the new Google Nest pricing, for example. So you can get home monitoring for Ecobee Haven, uh, which gives you home monitoring, autopilot, and video storage for up to one device, $5 per month. You can also do that for unlimited devices for $10 per month. And then... Because some people do have the smart thermostat already, but maybe they want to add the bundles or the security sensors and whatnot. There's a bunch of bundles out there topping out at $500. And that includes your smart thermostat, smart camera, two pack of sensors, and two pack of door window sensors. But you can just buy a the camera for $179, a two pack of cameras for $319, sensors for $99. Well, you get you all four. So this is a whole suite of, of products now. These are fancy. They look nice. I have liked the Ecobee products for a while. So now let's talk about a new camera. This one is an outdoor camera, and it is from Wise. So this is the Wise Outdoor Cam, and we're actually going to talk about it a little bit more when we have my guest, who is a co-founder and head of marketing at Wise. But Zat's not funny. Our buddy David Zatz saw at the FCC that the Wise Outdoor Cam is out there in the world or out there with the FCC. It's going to have a little bridge so there's it's the wise protocol that allows it to communicate back and forth with things. But it's surprisingly battery powered, which and it still has a micro SD card, so you can still control everything locally. It's got a similar design. Uh, it's a little different design, but it's similar in that little tiny square design. So yeah, we don't have pricing on this yet. I kind of want to make you wait. Should I make them wait and listen to the guest before telling them? Or should I just tell them now when it's going to be available? That's a tough call. It's a month that begins with a J to figure out which okay. month. It's not January. Stay tuned. All right. I feel kind of mean. Oh, 
This hurts me. Okay, y'all, it's June. I can't do it. It's June. <laughs> okay. Google. Google Nest cameras. They're temporarily reducing the bandwidth available from HD down to SD just because yes. we're yes. all we're all having a we're hard all time. Home. We're all Netflixing. And uh and to be honest, uh, Netflix and and even YouTube, Google's uh video products, they've actually been reducing bandwidth especially in Europe. So again, to, to help keep everybody's internet going, which makes sense. And to be honest, this is temporary for Google Nest. And what they've done is they've reset the video resolution to the default. You can actually go back into your app and readjust it back if you want higher quality. So they're not limiting you. They've just dropped everybody down. And then whoever really wants it can put it back up. You know, if you really need that, you can still have it. Now we should talk about TensorFlow Lite. This is machine learning for let's call it constrained devices. And Kevin, you want to talk about this? I do, because we talk about machine learning so much, not every week, but quite often. And yet I have no hands-on experience with it. So that's another reason I want to get another Raspberry Pi here. And this article from Google's TensorFlow blog from earlier this week is like the perfect overview article on TensorFlow Lite, how you can go from a prototype to a product, um, I did not know that TensorFlow Lite is now on 4 billion edge devices worldwide. That's crazy, crazy, crazy. And to help people like me who are beginners in terms of ML, they have some pre-programmed models that you can download. So maybe you, know, you want to get started and you don't want to train a model because frankly, I don't know how to do that just yet. I'll figure it out. But in the meantime, I can download some chat bots and some Q&A type ML models to do this. So the point here is twofold, actually, that the latest iteration of TensorFlow Lite, when benchmarked and tested, has improved its accuracy while keeping latency still in line, meaning it's more accurate and doesn't take more time to figure out what it is. It's it's seeing, hearing, etc. So that's one thing. The other thing is that this article is great for people who are putting together some IoT prototypes or projects and want to use machine learning, but weren't sure where to get started or how, this is a great overview. Oh, good. It's it's rare from Google to get good overviews on how to... <laughs> like, help me, Google. Your amazing technology. It's yeah, I'm just not as go smart. To GitHub. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Well, this weekend, actually, I received my Wise Scale and my Wise Band. So Yay. as a reminder, uh, the Wise Scale was nineteen ninety nine crazy low pricing, does a lot of things. It uses um, bioimpedance where they send the little electrical signal up one foot coming out the other foot or however that works. One gigawatt. Mm -hmm. To track things like, oh, how much of your body is water? How much is muscle? How much is fat? They use that to like determine 12 different things. Some of them are simple, like BMI. Some of them are kind of crazy, like skeletal mass. Ah, and some of them are downright disheartening, such as my visceral fat and body fat percentages, which I'll be honest, y'all, I did not want to step on the scale for you <laughs> because I hate scales and I am the heaviest I've ever been and I don't love it, but I'm trying to like live my life, right? But now you know. Also, I just turned 42 this weekend. And so, you know, it's hard to lose weight. So I stepped on the scale. And it is accurate. It's accurate compared to my other scale, which was not a smart scale. And I 
have an incredibly high body fat. So I think it might actually be a very handy tool for me because I got to say that if I had seen this creeping up on me in such stark terms that I probably Mm -hmm. would have not let it get so high. But, you know, that's okay. And then my husband also stepped on it and he was also impressed with it. He actually, I made him set it up. He did find it very easy to set up. You just add it in the Wise app. Wise does a good job there. I'm going to just say, hey, if you're interested in a scale, this is a good scale. It works. I haven't had it for very long, but, you know, for 20 bucks, I did need to supply four AAA batteries. You know, do I need my scale to track my heart rate? Not really, but it did. I don't think that was actually very accurate based on, you know, my Fitbit that was also tracking my heart rate. But you have a different device for that anyway. Yeah. So I could see this coming in handy, if not being a little crushing. So. Are you sharing that data with any other third-party apps at the moment? Because oh, I know that they... That was the downside. Is, so right now, oh. you can't share it. When we talk to Dave in a few minutes, you'll hear the timing for that. But the plan is to have it go with, shared with Apple HealthKit, uh, Google Fit, and Samsung, and Fitbit. So they're working on that. It's coming. So that's the scale. Go get it if you want to scale. The band, I'm having a little bit of a harder time with. So the Wise Band is $25 or $24.99 plus shipping. And this is designed to track your steps, track your sleep, track your heart rate, provide notifications, and also to talk to Madam A and provide shortcuts to wise devices in your home. As a band, I don't love it. The design is a little, it's a longer screen. It's a beautiful screen. It's colorful. It's OLED. It's OLED. It's fancy. It's actually brighter than my Fitbit, and I turned the brightness all the way down on it. I usually have to wear a, what are those, a sweatband around my Fitbits for at night so it doesn't wake up my husband. And with this, I totally, like, it it bled through the sweatbands, you guys. So it's bright. If you're sleeping with this, your partner might get kind of cranky. Well, is the screen always on? No, but when you, you know, just like with the Fitbit, when you move move it a certain way, it turns on because it thinks you're trying to look at the time, which is nice, but not at night. It does have a do not disturb mode. But the downside here is once again, these things, it doesn't track very much. I don't find the heart rate to be accurate when I'm exercising compared to my Fitbit. And all of this is compared to the Fitbit, which I'm also wearing right now. So I'm not wearing a like fancy heart strap because I don't currently have one. But the Fitbit has been pretty accurate for me just testing and counting. So I'm, I'm trusting the Fitbit here. The steps there, you know, I did a mile and a half walk yesterday and tracked, wore both, tracked, you know, the steps on both. And they were about 150 steps off. So, you know, that's fairly within range. I noticed that the steps are more inaccurate on the wise band compared to the Fitbit when I'm at home. So taking smaller steps, I believe. And the biggest downside is you have to have the wise app on to talk to Madam A and you have to be within Bluetooth range of your phone. So this is how it works. That's fine. But as a person who is often not within Bluetooth range of her phone, when I want to talk to Madam A, if there's not one nearby, my phone's probably not nearby either. It's a less of an issue for Madame A, I'll be honest. It's more of an issue for trying to use the shortcuts for like controlling devices, like when I'm going to bed, if I don't want to say out loud and I just want to do it on my wrist. The downside is it's got to be near my phone. So my phone's probably somewhere nearby and I could just use my phone for that. So it's a little, again, it's $25 if you want like basic step tracking and you want this added user interface for controlling your wise gear, maybe it makes sense. 
I don't think the Madam A functionality gives me a lot. Gotcha. As far as the accuracy of it, I mean, some of that is algorithms and that can be tweaked over time. Oh, yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe that will get better. And, you know, I've only been wearing it for three days. So mm-hmm. I am going to, I'll have it on for another week. We'll do a really formal review probably after that process. And yeah. So I don't know if I'd tell you to go out and buy the band. If you, if you, I mean, if you want the basics and you want to play, it, it is only twenty four ninety nine. So, okay. It is now time for the Internet of Things podcast hotline. And this is the part of the show where we answer your questions. If you want us to answer your questions, you should give us a call at 512-623-7424. And if you do that, you will be entered to win a Schlage lock. Pom, 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 pom. That was super fun. Every month we do a drawing from our queue of callers and we pick one and they win. So, yay. This week's caller is Billy, who has a question about asset tracking. Let's hear it. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Kevin. This is Billy from Montana. I have a question for the IoT hotline about LoRaWAN networks. I'd like to use this for asset tracking and possibly some exterior sensors around my house. I live in a small-ish town and there is one gateway registered in town already. So if I installed one as well, I feel like I would have decent enough coverage for the asset tracking. My question is, I don't exactly know how to get started. Done some research, but there's not really a great, or I haven't found a great how-to guide or just sort of a getting started for dummies type of thing. And I was hoping you could maybe point me in the right direction. Or if you could just do a quick rundown of what needs to be done to get started, that would also really help. Obviously, I need a gateway or should probably get a gateway and set that up. But is it just gateway and then sensors? Or is there some something in between? How does that all work? just not really sure where to go from here. Really appreciate the help. I love the show. Thanks so much. Hope you guys are staying safe and having great days. Oh, Billy, I have an answer for you, and it's going to be easy but expensive. So later, we might actually share harder, more difficult ways to do it that are less expensive. But I think this is a good option depending on the size of your town. So if someone has a LoRaWAN gateway in your town, depending on several factors. One, how powerful the transmitter is, right? And are there tall buildings in the way? Is there water? All of that. You can expect a LoRa gateway to transmit roughly about two miles. Um, In rural areas, they say it can go double that, but let's just keep it conservative. I don't know how big your town is. My town is a little bit bigger than that, and I live in a small town. But you could get pretty decent coverage. So, And you could also convince friends to also get LoRa gateways. The easiest, most effective LoRaWAN gateway to buy right now for a normal person is going to be the Helium router. And I have been playing with this for a couple months, and I'm waiting for actually a tracker to come, and then I'll be able to like tell you how far things go. But this thing is $350, which is a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. It is a lot of money, but then you will have a two-kilometer range LoRaWAN network hanging out by your house, and you can track your dog, you can track your mailbox, you could actually use sensors to track like people coming into your driveway, a lot of things that people want to do. You'll be helping other people track things too, and you'll earn some tokens as a result of that. 
Yeah, there's a whole crypto side of this that Kevin is very excited about, and I am kind of like, <laughs> eh. So, Kevin's not paying three fifty for the helium, though. No, he's not. He's going to build his own, and we'll hear more about that once that happens. If you have $350 and you want to do this, it is so easy to set up. In the Helium hotspot, you can just go to helium.com, and you will be able to find it and buy it. You also see where there are helium hotspots around you because they have a, a map of coverage. They do. And there's a surprising amount of hotspots. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been very impressed and they're still adding more and more people all the time. So the people's network. Yes. I will also warn you that it's going to take a couple days after you set it up to validate. So hang tight, set it up, hang tight. And then after three or four days, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally legit. So. Right. Other helium hotspots on the network will challenge yours just to make sure you're legit. Yeah. Oh, and they say helium says that in rural areas, you can get up to 10 miles or more in terms of range, but one mile or so in a denser place. I live in a suburban area with mine, so we'll see how far I can go. Okay. So that's my recommendation for you, Billy. I hope it helps. And if you want a cheaper option, that's more work. You're going to have to wait for Kevin, who's going <laughs> to tell you how to do that. Who just who just found out before the show that you could build your own uh, using like a Raspberry Pi and the proper Lura modules and the Helium software and such. So yeah, I just found out and that's going to be a project on my to-do list. Ta-da! All right. Well, Billy, I hope that helps. And remember, if you have a question, give us a call at 512 623 7424. And we may answer it and you'll definitely be entered to win a Schlaglock. All right, that concludes the news portion of our show. Please stay tuned to hear from Dave Crosby, who is a co-founder and head of marketing over at Wise. We're going to be talking about chip connected home over IP. We're going to be talking about launch dates for the Wise Outdoor Cam and lots of other things. So it's going to be fun. But first, a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Calyx. Hey, everyone. We are taking a quick break from this week's Internet of Things podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Calyx. And I have Michael Vaining here with me. Hello, Michael. Can you quickly remind us who is Calyx? Calyx is a provider of clouds, software, and systems that enable service providers of all sizes to deliver amazing broadband and Wi-Fi 6 experiences to their subscribers on future-proof and autonomous fiber networks. I'm excited to continue our discussion on the Revenue Edge solution, which is the enabler of our amazing Wi-Fi experiences. With more people staying at home and using their broadband connection for work, school, and entertainment, a reliable connected experience is more important than ever. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Wi-Fi systems and support that Calyx provides? Absolutely, Stacy. As I said last week, we believe that the company with the best data wins. So we start by arming service providers with great insights into what their subscriber needs. We do that with Calyx Marketing Cloud, a real-time behavioral analytics engine that helps a service provider understand the subscriber's activities, such as streaming and gaming or working from home or doing what I've been doing for the last two weeks, attending video conference after video conference. By understanding the needs of each household, they can ensure they are providing the right services at the right time. We then arm that service provider with cool Wi-Fi systems. Most subscribers know that to get the latest and greatest router, you have to drop three or $400 at the Best Buy because they are not getting it from their local service provider. 
Not anymore. Calyx was the first to launch Carrier Class Wi-Fi 6 18 months ago, and we just released our second generation Wi-Fi beast, the Blast U6. I'll put a U6 up against any router in the market and will kick butt, something that few service providers have ever had before. Amazing Wi-Fi 6 coverage, fully mesh-enabled, and a big processor to handle the most demanding of tasks, such as local virus and malware protection, or as we announced in October, running Samsung SmartThings to control all your IoT needs. The best thing is that even if there is a problem, the AI engine will self-heal, and if the problem persists, such as an old iPad mucking up your Wi-Fi channels, when you call the service provider using Calyx Support Cloud, they won't tell you to reboot the router. They see everything, have remote control, and can fix issues easily. A great example of the revenue edge in action is Allo Communications in Nebraska and Colorado. They're a kick-butt service provider who has an amazing all-fiber network. When they activated our autonomous self-heal, they saw 92% of all Wi-Fi issues get resolved before the subscriber even knew. And when they do call in, they use Calyx Support Cloud to ensure that you get fixed fast. There was a great article written this week in the Lincoln Journal Star about how locals are abandoning Spectrum in droves to get on the Allo Fiber Network. If you Google strain on internet services felt as thousands suddenly working and learning from home, you'll see there's lots of quotes about how terrible the experience is on coax, where Allo customers rave that their service is great and their Wi-Fi is fantastic. The CEO of Allo, Brad Moline, says it best. They built for the future, and Calyx is proud to be part of the Allo team during this crisis. Crisis. One thing's for sure, people need great Wi-Fi and a fiber network more than ever. Thanks for sharing, Michael. Can you remind people of where they can go to learn more? If they're a service provider, they can go to calyx.com slash revenue edge to learn more. And if they want to learn more about our awesome Blast Wi-Fi 6 systems, I'd encourage them to go to blastwifi.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Hagenbotham, and today's guest is Dave Crosby, who is a co-founder and head of marketing at Wise. Hi, Dave. How are you today? Hi, Stacey. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. We are huge fans of the podcast and uh, appreciate you having us on. Oh, we are excited. Everybody who listens to the podcast, I'm going to say most of them are dedicated users of your equipment, probably because it's cheap and it works. Because of you. I'll tell you a funny story. So the day, like the week after we launched or something like this back in late 2017, we were reviewing the traffic. Like we had this incredible traffic and conversion rate and we were all really excited. We were going through these, the top referrers of traffic and Stacy on IoT was like one of the top referrers. And we were like, who, where is this coming from? Because the other ones were like CNET and big publications. And then we like, who's Stacy on, on IoT? Then of course we found you and found this treasure trove of IoT users and all the amazing content you had been putting out. So we have been huge fans ever since because we know that you know what you're talking about. Your content is awesome and you have been kind to us. So thank you so much for having us on and for cheering us on. Wow. Thank you. That was really great. Okay. So we'll start off with the fact that you guys just released the Wise Band and the Wise Scale, which I'm going to be honest, when I first heard the news that this was happening way back in the day, I was like, what are they doing? So <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, this is a good question. And, and it's a fair question. We know that this is a bit of a sidestep from the other things that we have been working on. But the bottom line is, is our mission is to make great technology accessible to everyone. 
And of course, smart technology is where we focus. We've started with smart home with the camera, of course, being our, our main product, but we've since branched into different areas of the smart home, but we don't restrict ourselves to the smart home necessarily. If we have an opportunity with a partner or through some other way to make great technology accessible to everyone, then we are going to do our very best to take advantage of that. And I think it has to meet a couple of requirements, right? Like we say that, you know, our number one philosophy is to be friends with customers. So we treat customers like friends. If my best friend was in front of me, would I do this? Would he like this product? Would he think that this was cool? And would he want me to make this for him? So that's kind of our barrier, first of all. And then we, we want to create two good to be true experiences. We want people when they get the product to say, how in the world is this product so inexpensive for the amount of features that it has? And then the third kind of principle that we build our business on is just trust. We want to establish trust with our customers. And when they buy anything with with our name attached to it, it's going to be awesome. So when when we see things that are a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, but but have the ability to check those boxes, we got to do it. And so with with the band and with the scale in both those in- instances, we had just a great opportunity and incredible partners, and we couldn't pass up that that opportunity to bring great technology to the masses. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about how you guys work from a business perspective, because I think that's going to explain a little bit more from a great partners, and you saw an opportunity. So all the way back from the camera, you license technology, usually from companies in China, and then you build your own software for it. And then I know that now y'all host things in the US and in other geographic areas. So am I missing anything key here? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we've done a whole lot more since the early days of building our own products from scratch. So it's not, I mean, the WiseCam, we, yeah, we took hardware that was from a manufacturer in China that was already producing the camera at scale. And that was part of the reason why we were able to get such a great cost on our side on the, on the camera. And then we built our own software for it and, of course, released the awesome WiseCam. We do look for those opportunities, of course. That's a, we think that's a great way to do business. If we can find a product that is already producing a scale that we can take and put great software on it, maybe the software that is not good that's already on the product, and we can take that hardware and make it an awesome price, then we will take advantage of those opportunities. So we do a combination of that. We find we look for partners, manufacturers in China or, or anywhere in the world. We just need super innovative manufacturers. We also have been building a couple of our own products from scratch. Oh, and I'm going to take a guess. Is the lock one of those products? The lock was, we had a partner on the lock. One of the, actually the biggest lock makers in the world. The, 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 the lock is a great story because we, we thought we had no chance to work with that partner and um, they were awesome and they worked with us. And so that was a huge win for us to get a super premium lock manufacturer to kind of come down to our level, as I'll say, like we... We, you know, we, we price so low that some, some partners don't want to go there because they think we're going to hurt their brand value, you know, because we, we price so low. And so that was a huge win to find a premium lock manufacturer that was willing to work with us. Okay. Well, then what are the products that you guys have designed? Yeah. So outdoor cam and video doorbell are the ones that we're working on right now. And, and thermostat to an extent, we've been super involved from the beginning to how that product would look and feel. And those ones are going to be launched later this year. Outdoor Cam is actually, I mean, this is like top, fresh, hot of the press information, but like Outdoor Cam is our next product we're going to launch. I mean, this is something that's been in the works for two years. Our, our users have been begging for Outdoor Cam since day one. Yes, they and have. So we, are, we cannot wait to get Outdoor Cam out. And that's that's the next one. So it should be coming pretty soon. Like summer or like fall? I hate the thing is I, I am like I'm I'm almost too transparent with these types of things and I I go back and then like if we if I say we're gonna launch it in like June or something then we miss June then everyone gets mad at me. So I don't wanna say a specific date, I will just say it is the next product and we are aiming in the next couple months. I'll say that. Okay. Well that's awesome because yes, I I am one of the people who'm like, Oh yeah, outdoor cam would be amazing. Plus I have so many crazy ideas to combine it with my sense system. 
I love it. It's real, that's like, we, we love that so much. That part is like, we, we kind of have this thing we say internally where as technology becomes affordable, as we make it affordable, it just unlocks all this creativity, right? And so it's so cool to see what our, what our users do with our product just because it's affordable. Well, in in my early days as an IoT reporter, so all the way back in 2012, 2011, I was very excited about a lot of these programs like Smart Things and oh, I can't remember all of them. Even Ift because I had so many crazy plans for sensors and actuators and I wanted to build these fun things and really the software got in my way. So, yep. I also think that maybe the mainstream wasn't as excited as I was to build like a sensor that when my daughter splashed water from her tub when she was a kid, you know, that would set off a light downstairs. So I'd be like, stop splashing. <laughs> you have no idea how much we love that. Wise. Like we in our Slack channels internally, whenever we see that kind of stuff, we toss that around and it's awesome. We love it. Like there's the people that like when they like recline their chair, the TV turns on or like it just like <laughs> we love that stuff. Now, I always thought that that was not where the mainstream rest of the world was going. Do you think that your users are particularly geeky or do you think that maybe the low cost of this stuff and a kind of a sense of whimsy will drive that? Or do you think that they're just strange and we should just love them for it? So we think that's where the world's going. I mean, it's going to be the cost as a, is a huge part of it. I mean, if you beforehand, you're not going to buy super expensive hardware to like mess around and, and just as make a light turn on and off with your daughter's splashes in the tub, right? But if the sensor is only a couple bucks and the bulb is only a couple bucks, then like, okay, maybe that can take these products and make these really creative scenarios just because they're inexpensive. So we do think that that is going to be more and more common going forward. I think you will see more tinkering like that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I know our listeners, we're all tinkers. Let's go back to the scale and the band. So is this hardware that you worked with a partner? Is this hardware from China? Uh, yes, we have we have partners on both of these products. Last I talked to Alana, she had mentioned that you guys are actually profitable on every product you sell. Maybe not high margins, but they're profitable. And looking at things like the scale, which was like $20, it feels really amazing that that's still a profitable product. Yeah, so we we don't lose money on a product basis. That's not like we, we have to stay in business, right? And so um, we have a margin. But that being said, we treat customers like friends. So we, if we were, if I was going to sell something to a friend, what would I sell it to him? At the same time, if he, if that friend is a friend back to me and he wants to make sure that I can run my business, then what would he want me to sell it to him? You know, so we kind of put that balance in perspective. And I will just say that our margins are incredibly low, like, like half cost, like, they're just very, very low, as low as we possibly can. And it's funny thing on the scale, I don't, I don't think we've had such spirited debates on the price of, of a, one of our products since Wisecam. The scale, we really wanted to get under $20, right? That was our goal because like, we, we just really wanted to get there. But of course, our costs fluctuate as well on our side. Like we have our suppliers of different components that cost different amounts of money. And then the shipping costs can vary and currency exchange rates, all that kind of stuff can, can mess with our costs a little bit. So $20 is, is pushing our margins. I mean, that's, that's definitely on the very low end of what we are capable of doing. So we're really excited to get that scale out and, and hope everybody loves it. I personally love the scale. I can't wait. And it does lots of things. But both the scale and the band seem to have one current flaw. Well, we'll get into another current flaw. But the the one big flaw I saw that I was like, oh, hey, they don't talk to everything just yet. We know those integrations are super important to our users. And we, we talk to them and make sure that they 
and, and see what they want. And that has been expressed to us that they want integrations with Apple Health and Fitbit and Samsung Health and these different integrations. So they're for sure coming for the scale. The Apple Health uh, integration right now is already in beta and it's working great. So I expect that to be released very soon. We also have uh, integrations with Fitbit and Samsung Health coming for this scale as well. And we'll add other stuff as well. For bands, we don't have any uh, integrations outside of Alexa. Of course, Alexa is the big integration that we have. But we will start adding other integrations starting in June, I believe. Okay. And yeah, let's talk about that integration with Madam A. We call her that so as not to invoke her her presence on people's devices. So for the band to work, you have to have the app running in the background. Is that just for Madam A or is that just for everything in general? So having the app run in the background. I mean, the band will still work. It does basic things like count your steps and some basic health stuff. But if you really want the full capability of the band, you have to have the Wise app running in the background. And that's not something that's likely to change? Well, I, w- I wouldn't say never. If we will see the feedback from the users, that's, I would say that that's something that's been flagged early by the community. And so I know that our team is already looking at it and, and looking at ways that we can avoid it. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure where they're at right now. If it's, and we will we'll definitely be looking at ways if the users want to change something, we'll look at ways to change it. Y'all are very user responsive. What about adding Google? I know that there's the great rivalry between Madam A and Google, and Amazon is in your hometown of Seattle. So I don't know, should we never look for Google support? I would say Alexa, the Alexa team has been just super great to work with, and they've made it very easy for us to integrate the band with them. The Google team has been, it's been a little bit tougher. Of course, we reached out to them at the very beginning of this, and they basically needed us to convert our entire band to an Android stack. And at the time, that wasn't a possibility. We've since found a way that we think that we can make it work. It's just in development right now. We'll plan to have a beta out probably in August or so. But the, the Alexa team has been so helpful for us to get that integration. And so that's why we focused on that first. Okay. And I'm sure it's easy to do that since y'all are all in the same area. There's no flights. Exactly. And we also, of course, most of us at WISE, I don't know how many, what percentage, but a ton of us at WISE are all ex-Amazon employees. And so we just know so many people there that can help us speed things along. That makes sense. All right. Well, let's talk about the current pandemic and COVID-19 because that is affecting businesses left and right. It's shipping times, manufacturing times, the ability to create new products. How is it affecting WISE? Well, I don't, I don't know if we're super unique in the way that it is affecting us. Of course, in the early days, our supply chains were disrupted. It caused some delays in especially the, the keypad for our lock, which is a bummer because to really get the full functionality out of our wide lock, you really need that keypad. That, that's been delayed much longer than we want it to be, but, but happy to say that that should be sh- shipping this month. You know, the supply side was the early risk. That is so far, I mean, up to this point, most of the factories and stuff has gone back to work in China. And so that risk is avoided. Now we face the risk here in the, on the U.S. side where all of us are, of course, working from home. And that's, that's just slowing down things a little bit, not being able to meet in person or do the, a lot of the hardware tests that we need to do with each other. So there's a little bit of slowdown there. But, but I will say we're, we're pressing forward at a pretty remarkable rate. I've actually been really impressed by our team of how effectively we've, we've been able to work from home. We've launched a couple of products all working from home so far. We did, the, of course, the band and the scale. And we looked at other companies like, you know, Elon Musk was starting to make ventilators with Tesla. And we saw some alcohol or perfume companies start to make like uh, hand sanitizer. And we just saw other companies being very creative and unique. And so that that challenged us to think what strengths could we use to better the world and help fight the pandemic. And so we just put together a number of 
just kind of small solutions trying to do our part to help. We were able to source thermometers from one of our partners, which as you probably know, if you tried to find a thermometer, they are sold out everywhere. So they're very, very hard to find. We were able to get a, a bunch of thermometers and put those in front of uh, our users so that our users, users would be taken care of or at least have early indication that they are experiencing symptoms. We also, of course, when we saw that the webcams were so out of stock, we buckled down and we found a way to make WiseCam a webcam, to turn it into a webcam. We just, we created a firmware for it. And it's a little bit complex the way you have to download it and put it on a card. So it's like the cleanest, smoothest operation, but at least it's a solution for people that are trying to work from home and need a webcam. They can now do that on a WiseCam. We offered free WiseCams for any small business in the state of Washington. So, I mean, we had a lot of people reaching out to us saying that they needed a way to keep an eye on their business because they're working from home and they're really worried about it. So we opened up that program and a number of other things. So we've tried our best to respond to the situation and help out the best we can while all working from home. So it's definitely had a huge impact on our business. It's had a little bit of shift in our priorities because we're trying to help more than serve our own needs. But it's been it's been pretty good so far. I, I think I think we'll make it through this and uh, we'll we'll be in a good spot. Excellent. All right. Well, and I should ask just because you're in the smart home space and probably the biggest news in the smart home space in the last few months, I would say, was the launch of Apple, Amazon, Samsung, and Google working together to create the connected home over IP standard chip. And it's a little up in the air. We're, we're still waiting to hear kind of what's happening. I know their first meetings have, have occurred now, but where do you stand on the whole chip process? So I, I will say, and, and I'm probably the wrong person to talk to this as, yeah, I work in the IoT space, but being on the marketing side of the business, I'm not as into the weeds as some of the stuff that some of uh, my partners are. I say that we are are very closely following all of this. And of course, we will develop our products in the way that our users want them to be developed and is most convenient for our users. We're, we're watching, we're listening, and we'll, we'll, of course, keep tabs and we'll we'll build our products as different guidelines and things come along in the best way that will help our users. All right. Well, Dave, that's all the time we have. But thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week. 